Hello, everybody, and Kia Ora. Um, in today's webinar, we will talk um, about Austro's new guidance uh, for road agencies to improve their capabilities in the management and resolution of incidents um, that can negatively impact the operation of more than one transport mode. Um, we have 246 people registered for today's session. Welcome to you all, and thanks for joining us. My name is Ekaterina, I'm a communications officer at Ostroads, and I will be moderating today's session together with one of our presenters, Andrew Somers. Andrew will moderate the Q&A at the end of the webinar. First of all, I would like to acknowledge the Australian Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people as the custodians of the land from which we are broadcasting today. I pay my respect to all this past, present and emerging. I also acknowledge the Treaty of uh, Waitangi and Maori as the original people of New Zealand. A little bit about Austroads. Um, we are the collective of Australasian transport and traffic agencies, and our focus is to support our member organizations to deliver an improved road transport network. Um, the project that we are focusing on today was delivered under the Transport Network Operations Program, which is managed by Amy Knowles. A bit of housekeeping. Um, our presenters will speak for 40 minutes and then we will have um, a Q&A session for about 15 minutes. The slides and the report can be downloaded from the handout section of your sidebar, which you will find on the right-hand side of your screen. To send us your questions for the Q&A, please use the question icon on your sidebar. If your question relates to any particular slide, um, include the number of that slide in your message to help us answer your question as best as we can. Also, let us know if you have any technical problems, um, but just a quick tip, if you lose sound or your picture freezes, the issue is most likely with your internet connection. So closing your browser and rejoining the session um, using your email registration link usually helps. This session has been recorded and we will let you know when the recording is available on our website. If you listen to podcasts, um, you can also find Ostrods in your podcast app. Um, so it gives me great pleasure to introduce our presenters for today. Uh, we will first hear from Andrew Somers, uh, Director of Transoptim. Andrew is a specialist consultant in future mobility and ITS with extensive expertise uh, in network operations. Our second uh, presenter is David Yee, Managing Director of Transport Management Consulting with more than 25 years experience in various transport management and transport technology roles across government um, and private industry. Welcome, Andrew and David, and over to you, Andrew. Uh, thanks, Ekaterina, um, and welcome to, uh, to everybody who's, uh, who's joined us today. Uh, I'll start by introducing the uh, team behind the project. Uh, because um, you'll hear extensively from David today. You fortunately won't hear too much from me until we get to questions and answers. You'll hear mainly from David. Uh, and David's the consultant who's been delivering this project and I've been uh, engaged with Ostroads as project manager. Uh, the map to the right though is really important. Ostroads is a member-based organisation and in this project, the contribution of the uh, uh, employees of those member agencies, as with other projects, really help shape, guide, uh, and influence the outcomes that you'll be um, you'll have presented to you today. So you can see that we've had input from around uh, Australia and New Zealand. Uh, and because of the nature of the project, it includes the two broad parts um, that I'll touch on in again in a, sec in a second. It is why we have multiple names there from some jurisdictions, so that we cover a couple of different areas. So I do thank 
uh, those members of the project working group who are here at the webinar today for their uh, input uh, and their continued input as we um, work through the second half of the project. Purpose of the project, uh, two parts. Um, I think the, here we go. Uh, slides hopefully changed now. So dual purpose within this project. The first part, and that's what we're presenting on today, was to support development of Austro's member agency capabilities, multi-mode incident management. Uh, and the why for that is, is, is probably reasonably clear. David might touch on that a little bit as he runs you through multimodal incident management. But also the second half that we're now proceeding through is to inform an agreed way forward for development and management of national ITS architecture. Uh, so three major deliverables, the research report is available. Uh, the links there in the slide and the slides are available in the handout section. So to the right in your sidebar, you can find handouts. Um, the report, is included as a handout and today's slides are included as a handout. Um, you'll find the report quite handy because there is a fair bit of content uh, in this presentation. We're streamlined as much as we can, um, but the details are in the report. You don't need to take notes during this presentation. Uh, beyond that then, the architecture content supporting guidelines, a draft and review, and then there'll be an internal briefing memo, so you won't get to see that one, but um, important internal discussion for Austroid as to where to from here for national ITS architecture informed by this project and also previous work in the area. Um, but with that, I'll hand over to David because he'll really be the one to run you through multimodal incident management, uh, and then we'll come back at the end for, for questions. Uh, there is that questions um, uh, little icon in the uh, sidebar as well. So please feel free to put your question in as we go through the presentation and then we'll get to them at the end. Um, but with that, uh, over to you, David. Thanks very much, Andrew. Yeah, thanks, Andrew, and uh, hello, everybody, and thanks for joining us. So what I'm going to do is step through a few parts to the report, but first up, I'm going to provide an overview of the project and um, a definition of MIM, because that was the first element of this project. So, as Andrew mentioned, the objective is to provide guidance to agencies wanting to improve their MIM capabilities. Uh, so, you know, we've shortened multimodal incident management to uh, MIM to make it easier uh, for everybody to, to talk about. So, as Andrew said, this webinar will cover the first of two public reports being produced for the project. Uh, this first report contains research, findings, a capability framework and guidance around MIM. The second report will follow, and it's going to focus on architecture reference models that can be used along with this guidance. So, as Andrew said, also the, the slides here contain a fair bit of content. So please use this session as a bit of an overview of the report. And uh, yeah, you can read at your leisure the report and the material that goes along with it as well. In terms of the methodology for this report, we went through a six step process. So we started with some initial research because that needed to inform the development of a MIM definition. And then that followed a, a more of a traditional literature review approach and then development of principles, uh, capability framework before the final report that's been published that we're focusing on today. 
So as I mentioned at the outset, the first part of this project was in, involved establishing a definition for MIM. So if we back up and look at the big context here, road agencies are quite familiar with traffic or road incident management. However, there was not a universal MIM de definition. So in consultation with the project working group, we arrived at the definition on the screen now. And so I'll read it out. Um, but MIM is the resolution of an unplanned incident that negatively impacts or has the potential to impact the normal operation of more than one transport mode. MIM aims to maintain transport services and minimise journey disruptions in day-to-day -day transport operations. It involves a coordinated response from both road and public transport operators to resolve incidents and restore the network to normal operating conditions. The added flavour of this particular project was that the project working group also wanted to focus MIM on day-to-day -day commuter transport management within an urban environment, so it put some tight bounds around it. The other thing to note is that this report is written to support the perspective of a road agency that typically has a responsible for managing roads, but it wants to expand its capabilities and um, remit into the MIM space. So it's purposely written from a road agency perspective. To show a typical example of what a MIM scenario might entail, we've got this infographic contained within the report and it describes a sequence of events that, that characterise what we're looking at here. So on the left of the figure, it, it presents a car crash on the left, which has flow on effects to the wider transport network. And in this scenario, we might have a road agency's traffic management centre and operational partners coordinate a MIM response to resolve and restore conditions. And so these actions could include things like um, the road and transport operators informing their customers about the incidents and their impacts, the use of traditional traffic management systems to identify the impacts of the incident, evaluate and implement a response. For instance, we see here traffic control signals and variable message signs, which are typical for a road traffic incident management scenario. We also may overlay a sort of MIM response so that we've got diversions of travellers from different public transport services and other road-based modes uh, affected by the incident to alternative modes. And then we, on top of that, we have to manage those additional or changed public transport services. And some agencies may also have resources or staff that they can actually send to particular disrupted services to redirect travellers and assist them with their journeys. And then finally, we might also have some cross-modal ticketing to facilitate convenient and efficient transport response between modes. So that, uh, in a nutshell, is the sort of MIM scenario that we're looking at for this particular report. So if we step further into the report, the first part is uh, a literature review. Uh, that, that we've canvassed sort of worldwide practices around MIM or things related to MIM and so we'll cover off some of the key findings in the next few slides. So first up we can look at the US. Now the US looks at MIM generally through what we call an integrated corridor management approach and ICM as it's also known as was started perhaps 15 plus years ago, and it was just it was a um, a program done under the USDOT to apply operational strategies and technologies to support a corridor, not not a route but a corridor, absorb the impacts of events in peak hours. Now they could be things like major events, congestion, or incidents. 
So under this program, there were a number of um, concept locations and guidance that were produced by the USDOT under the ICM program. And generally what happens is that an ICM deployment will have one or more of the following areas uh, treated. So we talk about demand management, load balancing, event response or capital improvement. Right? So in terms of demand management, we're talking about usage patterns of the transport network. In terms of load balancing, we talk about how travellers use networks within a corridor across different modes. The event response is the actual response to the unplanned or planned incident. And the capital improvement might be a series of uh, recommendations or activities to actually upgrade the physical uh, capacities of those sorts of networks as well. So all in all, those are the sorts of things that uh, ICM applies. Now it's up to each site or, or city or corridor to pick the right strategy. And if we look at an example of how uh, this might be deployed, I'm showing an example from Dallas. So Dallas has deployed a system with four components and we're looking at the technology that it's deployed to support its uh, ICM program on, on the US 75. The four components here, it has a user interface to a system, it has a decision support system, it has integrated data exchange to exchange data between um, internal agency systems and external systems, and it also has a business intelligence system that includes tools to visualize and report and show operational dashboards. And so this system within the ICM program provides situational awareness across freeways, arterials and public transport and it also provides decision support along that corridor. So it's an example of what's done in the US. Also in the US, uh, we're, back in 2014, Ashto actually developed this capability maturity model for ICM, which shows five levels of maturity, starting from level one, be it siloed operations, where there actually is no multimodal sort of approach to incident or, or congestion management, right up to an optimized level. And they've shown it through six capabilities that talk about integration from an institution, a technical perspective, and also an operational integration perspective. And this tool is useful for agencies within the US to understand where they're at and also plan for a future. If we step north to Canada, uh, there's a couple of things we found related to MIM. Uh, and they re mainly relate to things to do with the transport response. So if we talk about, we introduce the topic of bus bridging and also understanding what sort of role rideshare can play in responding to disruptions. So looking at bus bridging, it is a key strategy used by most Canadian transport agencies to handle rail service disruptions. And in these cases, buses are redistributed from scheduled services to act as temporary shuttles along a disrupted rail network. And increasingly to supplement uh, these buses that people, agencies are looking to understand how rideshare services can also be leveraged. So a study between 2016 and 2018 actually showed that travel is disrupted or delayed by uh, rail, on rail services actually switched to Ubers after reaching a, a three minute delay. And on average that occurred after about seven minutes. So increasingly, agencies are looking at what potential uh, opportunities there are with rideshare companies to help. If we skip across to the UK, we've found some good examples around uh, London, Greater Manchester and West Midlands. And there's two 
two key themes here. One is that that we have what we see as a, a an evolution of transport management centres, and so we now have facilities that are supporting both road and public transport operations, including incident management within there. So no longer are, do we have road-focused agency uh, TMCs or TOCs, they are going for a shared uh, and co-located facility. So this better enables agencies to collaborate and coordinate their work uh, and get better outcomes. And secondly, from a technology or tools perspective, we see there's growing uses of operational dashboards or situational awareness tools to view and respond to real-time conditions, improvements through customer messaging and multimodal transport apps, and a general improvement to how incident management systems are provided and the capabilities relating to those as well. If we look to Asia, we've brought out a couple of examples here found in Hong Kong and Singapore. So both cities have a traditional traffic control centre where public transport disruptions are typically managed by the public transport operators. But there is increasingly more information being shared between the public transport operators and traffic control centres so that we can get a more holistic response. And we also see that bus bridging and rideshare are used to help sponsors, as we have mentioned in um, Canada. Again, there's some focus on public transport information delivered through apps. And finally, there's better use of tools and information systems for data exchange, data use. And an example here is we see the faster system in Singapore that uses data from multiple sources to help situational awareness and decision support during incidents that are affecting the public transport. And we also have a couple of examples in France and Sweden. So another, well, the same trends coming through here so that we see, for instance, in Grenoble, uh, the use of multimodal transport centres where we have Station Mobile, which is an example of something that, or a facility, single facility with six agencies operating within the same building. Again, bus bridging and rideshare are used. And in, interestingly, in Sweden, if delays exceed 20 minutes, travellers can actually seek reimbursement for taxi fares due to those delays. And we found, um, interesting example in Toulouse where they've developed a, a tool called Claire City which is a supervisory system uh, of multi, multimodal networks and that's used to coordinate uh, both road and public transport um, modes in response to events. So it contains things like performance track features like performance tracking, disruption management, monitoring, decision making and simulation. So that's an example of a more advanced system that's being applied to a multimodal incident management situation. Another aspect of MIM in the literature we've found are examples of systems architecture across the US and EU. So this particular slide is probably more related to the second report we're working on, but it's interesting to view it here. So in, in the US, we've got two sources of architecture two sources of information related to MIM information systems and technology tools. So on the left, we, sh we show an example of what, what is the USDOT's ITS reference architecture. And it has a, a bunch of service packages uh, that describe the arrangement of systems you need to actually fulfill a requirement. So the example I've got here, and it's too small to see, but that one is related to multimodal coordination. 
uh, more about day-to-day -day coordination, but there are things in there related to incident management as well. The middle column um, is an excerpt from a US review of systems architecture for ICM implementations. And so it characterizes or has three examples of how ICM programs deploy the technology. So we could look at either basing, on it, basing it on existing traffic management systems and enhancing those. Uh, secondly, providing a separate decision support and business intelligence system and connecting existing systems to those new components. Or thirdly, creating a brand new ICM uh, system with the required components and then interfacing the existing traffic and public transport systems together. And finally, to the right, uh, there is a European reference called Frame, which is the, the ITS architecture in Europe. Now, there is some useful information here to consider when developing some incident management needs or architecture. However, MIM in itself um, is not really a focus for the EU reference architecture. So coming closer to home in Australia and New Zealand, we can see moves toward more integrated and multimodal operations. And so we see this reflected in various agency moves to include MIM aspects within traditional road-focused operations. So from a MIM response perspective, we can see that agency traffic management and control centres are moving towards this multimodal transport management centre in some form. So we cite examples across uh, New Zealand New South Wales, Queensland, and Victoria. We do see in more mature agencies such as New South Wales, they do actually have a, agreements and operating agreements with their public transport um, operators as well. And bus bridging is a very common response to health incidents um, in Australia. And from a tools perspective, we do see a few agencies, mainly on the east coast of Australia, developing what we're calling either a common operating picture or situational awareness tool. And so New South Wales, Queensland and Victoria all can currently have a program or project um, currently building a situational awareness tool. That also then can give you the foundation for what we consider as more advanced incident management systems that extend from your road and traffic incident management system, but also bring in the good, good features of a situational awareness tool. So based on the research, we've identified some key themes and trends, which are summarized in the next slide, and we've titled them key findings. So the first one is that when we look to vehicle focused cultures, or those management transport or traffic management centered sort of focused agencies, they tend to have more specific MIM initiatives, right? So, because they're coming out of a road um, and road and traffic incident management focus. Whereas those public transport centered cultures tend to see incident management just as part of transport management. So they may not define multimodal incident management as a particular type of incident management, it is just incident management. Secondly, for those agencies that are moving towards MIM, we have seen a shift in organisational thinking. And as I touched on at the slide before, you've got this theme of TMCs and TOCs moving from a pure focused, road focused facility into a wider road and public transport um, multimodal centre. And so to support this move, it is really important that good coordination and cooperation exists across agencies, both within a mode and across different modes as well. 
What we've also found is that some, in some jurisdictions, they've actually co-located road and transport operations within the same integrated operation centres, while others have developed partially co-located or virtual facilities. But that is really to support the coordination and cooperation. But what it does say is that co-location is not, not an absolute need, but it is, it's more importantly, the exchange and understanding about um, how you are going to cooperate is more important. We also see a common use of um, jurisdictions that using rail replacement bus services or bus bridging to help manage rail and public transport disruptions. And we see tools developed to support situational awareness and better incident management. So moving even further on, we then distilled all of these findings into a, a bunch of themes and principles, which we'll look at in the next few slides. So we can look at themes as being the sorts of things we need to have in place to make sure that we establish uh, a well-working MIM capability. So the first is the vision and strategy for MIM. So from what we could see, it's really important to have a bit of a goal and target for what an agency wants to achieve and then back that up with a strategy. The second one, we've stressed it a couple of times, but coordination and cooperation is critical to make sure you've got common understanding consistency of response and a commitment by each operator or stakeholder to achieve whatever objectives you set in your vision and strategy. Integrated operations centre, whether it's co-located, partial location or virtual co-location, the, the point is that there is some integration needed through your operations centre to get them going. The fourth point, uh, leveraging existing practices. So agencies have a wealth of knowledge, experience and, and uh, expertise in traffic or road incident management and also in disaster and emergency management. MIM is either an extension or a combination of um, those characteristics or those capabilities and those are the things that agencies should be leveraging to build their MIM capability. Also important is the need for integrated traveller information because you may be managing your, your response in terms of your network and your fleet but your customers and your travellers need to know good quality, real-time, accurate information that is consistent across modes. So that's very important. And the last point on this slide is that agencies need to consider travel demand management and network load balancing. Right? So this is really about the influencing of travellers to modify journeys in time and space. And we could look at the four R's, be it reroute, remote, retime, or reduce the need for travel. Moving to the second lot of themes, we could look at alternative transport services. So we've touched on this a few times because we see it popping up just about everywhere around the world, that rail replacement bus services or bus bridging are probably the most common alternative transport response to public transport incidents. But agencies also need to look and understand what sort of what benefits could be and opportunities there are with combining with rideshare and taxis. None of this is possible without good data exchange. So it, it's we press on agencies to make sure they've got, got good data exchange with their partners. This data exchange supports situational awareness, better information sharing, and the development of uh, integrated and optimal responses across your partners. To support that, you need a good set of tools. And so the two things that will probably be called out here are a situational awareness or common operating picture 
and support for your actual incident management process and the resolution of incidents. And the last point is, and I think this is not uncommon, it's common everywhere you look, that through the use of data, the use of tools, you get better intelligence and you can make better decisions. Right? And that is probably key to a key outcome of MIM that we want to make sure that our customers are supported uh, with efficient and efficiency and minimal disruption. And so we've coupled this with 10 guiding principles. So we've got the findings from our research, we've got themes, and we've also got a bunch of principles here on the page. And so these are really cross-cutting things that support the sort of capabilities that you need. So first up, you do need leadership from your organisation, you know, and that stretches from the top down to the operational uh, people that are implementing it. Because without your actual executive um, leadership, it's very hard to get something like MIM off the ground that requires organisations to be, or silos to be broken down. To support that, there is a need for operational and organisational agreements to be established because you can have intent, but you really do need that formal agreement with organisations to make sure that it can be called on by everybody. Thirdly, once it's in place, you need to govern it because how else do you make sure that what you've agreed on is actually getting done? And throughout operations and planning, uh, you need open communication between partners. Point five is that any agency that embarks on MIM needs to make sure that they're doing it in context with any other multimodal transport management shift. Right? So these things could affect how you, or even help you uh, implement MIM capabilities. Six says that MIM responses should be holistic. So we need to look at both the road and pub, complete road and public transport infrastructure and network that is available in responses. Point seven picks up on the data and just stresses that you need to make sure that information and data is shared between road and transport operators. Now that could be written data, written information, voice or messaging via systems, but it needs to be shared. Point eight is that MIM is not about technology solutions. It should be led from a business perspective first. Sure, technology helps, but you need to make sure you've got all these the business requirements sorted first. Point nine, don't try and boil the ocean. Um, MIM can be a big job, so therefore you need to be reasonable and develop in, deliver it incrementally to achieve your vision. And then finally, that as I said before, MIM is maybe an extension to your traffic incident management practices. So you should look to see how you can extend those practices. So the second part of the report includes what we've called a MIM capability framework. And so this is a tool that helps agencies go about their MIM journey and actually implement the sorts of things that we've identified in the front part of the report. So the, the framework has three components. Firstly, the MIM capabilities, which we consider to be the foundational building blocks of abilities required by an agency. And so capabilities describe what needs to be done, but not how or who performs them. The second, the second element of this is actually overlaying a capability maturity model on top of the capabilities. And this describes the spectrum of maturities that agencies can use to determine where they are now and where they need to be. And thirdly, a bit of guidance, which are the instructions on how to use these two components together to achieve your target state and improve your MIM capabilities. 
So in the next few slides, we'll look at these components. And first up is a capability diagram. So the capability diagram describes at a really high level, the nine key areas required to support MIM. And then you could look at this and say, this is what an agency needs to be able to do. And underneath each of those nine headings are a bunch of sub capabilities. And so they consider the, the component capabilities that are required to support the parent. And so if we move across the top, these things should be sort of consistent with, they are consistent with the research findings and some of the themes and principles we've called out, but we talk about coordination, the need to be able to coordinate and cooperate, um, have incident response planning capability, a capability to monitor the network and detect incidents, a capability to for incident response management, operational communications, road network management, public transport network management, travel demand management, and business intelligence and analytics. And within the report, we'll go to the next slide, we have definitions of each of these capabilities at the high level, which is shown on this screen here, but we also go down to show the next level and all that detail is in the report. I don't expect you to read them there. So the second part of this framework is the maturity model. So with the maturity model, we see two axes. You've got the vertical axis, which can, contains the capabilities or the nine capabilities we've just shown on the screen in the previous two slides. And they are mapped against a five level uh, maturity level. So we start at level one where agencies do not have any MIM. And we could talk about incident management occurring in isolation within a mode. And we step it right up to an optimized MIM where we would expect MIM to be MIM responses to be seamless, dynamically optimized with integration across road and public transport modes and operations. And somewhere in between there, we've got uh, level two, which we call the merging, level three established and level four an integrated MIM. And so again, within the report, we have detailed descriptions of all of these levels against each capability in quite some detail. We've just shown you this is a bit of a, a map about what content's in there, and we don't expect you to read it here as you have access to the report. But where we could use this tool um, is to understand where your current capability sits. So in this, in the report, we also show a really high level view of what we think each jurisdiction of Austro members, um, where, where they are at in terms of their MIM capability level. So most agencies across Australia and New Zealand sit between a level one, that is no MIM capability, through to what we call a level three or established level of MIM. And generally those sort of reflect, I would suggest that New South Wales and New Zealand are probably the most um, sophisticated agencies in terms of their approach to MIM. But I should say there's no right or wrong answer with this. It is dependent upon the agency, their appetite and their need for things as well. So showing you another couple of slides here, what well, this report, the report also shows level specific views. So we've included two examples here, a level one table on the left and a level three uh, capability on the right. Now I should point out that even though we say it might be a level one with MIM, this is unrelated, for instance, to its to an agency's ability to do traffic incident management or road incident management. It is purely looking at the MIM characteristics. 
So again, there's lots of words here. We're just showing you what's in the report and there are equivalent um, descriptions for, three, for level two, four and five as well. Moving to the next slide, um, the, this gives you an illustration of the final component of the framework, which is the guidance. So there's a five step process that shows how to use the models, the capability model and the maturity models to identify current and future target states then to perform a gap analysis before developing a capability improvement roadmap and planning and delivering the changes. So we'll just take a, a couple of slides here to look at the key steps. And the first slide here is, um, it's an example of a gap analysis that uses the, the capability maturity model and the capabilities to actually understand where an agency might be in terms of its current state, understand where the target might be, and identify a gap, and then pull out and identify some of the potential areas that the agency should probably focus on to improve its MIM. So that, that's given in the report as an example to help sort of materialize or bring, make this more tangible for users. The, once you've identified the list of initiatives, we can go ahead and develop a roadmap. So a roadmap is a high level definition of the required work, and it describes how the agency or organization will be different after the change. And in this case, it's about improving MIM. So the roadmap can include things like what is going to be achieved by improving MIM, um, the expected changes to the business and information systems as described in the architectures, which are coming in the second report to this project, how the changes will be implemented over time, when they will occur, who the stakeholders are and how they'll be affected, and how we get to actually the current the current state to the target state. And then more about how do we plan our program in terms of the budgets, resources required, and how you're managing governance. And the final slide here talks about once you've identified and defined your roadmap, we can move into planning and delivery. So it goes through some steps about developing, designing and delivering the individual projects. And the projects get, or the projects need to be focused from both the business changes, remember, before the technology changes as well. Because remember, one of the principles we're using is that we, MIM is not a technology project, it is a business-led project, so we need to make sure that we've identified what changes are needed at the business end. And so we talk about things related to business architecture. So those things might be the organisation structure, skills, resources, the processes and procedures before we actually get into defining what information systems we require. But in the information systems, we can get into things like understanding what applications, data and components are needed and what interfaces are required there. And importantly, we recognise that in delivering, planning and delivery of these projects, we need to integrate those practices into your normal program and project management approaches as well. So this brings me to the end of my section of the presentation. As we've mentioned, the material and report are accessible after this session. And so I can now hand back to Andrew, who will now open up for questions. Thanks, David. And uh, I'd encourage people to um, continue asking their questions through the, uh, the questions button in the sidebar. Um, we do have a few questions in so far that we'll get started with, uh, but we do certainly have room for more and um, yeah, an important part of these webinars is sort of 
opportunity for you to ask um, questions directly to the presenters. Um, I encourage you to, to make use of it. The um, first sort of series of questions that we've got sort of together come to the question of, you know, very passenger focus so far in, in today's presentation, David, and understandably, you know, we talk primarily around passenger public transport uh, as being the extension to road incident management. Uh, how should, would, could MMIM apply also to freight movements? Uh, is that considered direct already within road incident management? What happens with um, um, rail freight uh, outages, disruptions? Uh, and I suppose what, what's the difference in the government's role potentially between managing service disruption to um, passenger movements compared to uh, freight supply chains? Yeah, okay. So thanks, Andrew. So I think from my perspective, the the topic of freight, we could either put it into road incident management or yes, you could extend it to part of VIM. It wasn't a particular focus for this project, only because we had a tight remit to focus on commuter, uh, public transport and, and road journeys. But it's it's yeah in terms of where you would put it it could probably be in either and I think that's probably something for Osroad's consideration down the track. Um, the next question sort of again sort of comes to where you draw the boundaries for this and how far do you go is um, uh, damage to secondary damage to, to roadside infrastructure and again is that sort of a, a core part of normal road incident management processes or is that something specific for um, multimodal incident management? I would say if you are if you've got practices focused on road incident management then damage to a roadside infrastructure or road infrastructure should be probably dealt with in there. Uh, Look, however, if there's probably something related to a public transport infrastructure, e.g. a rail bridge falling over a road, then there's probably potentially some merit for bringing it in under the MIM umbrella. And I think that this, it really depends on how the agency characterises, I'll call it TIM, traffic incident management versus MIM, or even if it is all just one and the same, because I think then if it is treated one and the same, then you are, almost have a reflection that the organisation's reached some level of maturity about its incident management, that it doesn't actually see a difference. Uh, it doesn't matter where it's affected. Um, are we able to have slide 31 up at Katarina? Thank you. So we've got a question about uh, number seven of the principles. Um, the number seven says the data should be uh, freely shared between road and transport operators and other partners to enable shared situational awareness and understanding. Um, what does that mean with respect to sharing then to the public? Uh, so sort of sharing between um, agencies, operators and so forth. What about uh, to members of the public? Yeah, I think that's within within scope as well. I think that whether we've called it out, I'm just rereading here. But I, I, I do I do agree that yeah, data is about, or information sharing is both, you, you could widen it to include stakeholders. And if the stakeholders obviously do include travellers, then yes, we do encourage free data sharing to them as well. Um. I suppose one of the, uh, the questions that's also sort of come up in this area, David, is around um, 
when to, to intervene and not intervene. And we talk, for instance, about bus bridging in your presentation uh, as one of the responses that we tend to see in multimodal incident management. Uh, you know, when an incident occurs and the, the options are there, including focusing on arranging alternative transport, trying to resolve the core incident, um, providing rerouting options on different parts of the network, and yeah, often by focusing on one, you reduce your ability to focus on the other. Uh, how, do, how does an agency decide uh, where to focus their energy and effort? Yeah. That's a really good question, Andrew. And we probably we haven't in this study we haven't got down into that sort of level of detail, but we do know that those are the sorts of key questions that might come next or that need to be answered. Because and I think the response to by agencies is going to depend on its you know geography, its density of road and transport networks, how well coordinated and integrated they are, because you could see scenarios, for instance, where and it's in we've captured in the report there's a number of cities that report the fact that if we were to implement bus bridging it can have a negative impact on um, public transport and road response right so there's going to be some sort of limit or some scenarios should I say that works well for particular agencies and over which outside of which you know you'd say well we'll focus on certain other things so I haven't got an answer for you at this moment, but I think it is an area of interest of, of agencies that could be looked at down the track. We've got a, um, a question now around decision support tools and how well they've worked overseas. And it's probably worth sort of, again, covering over a little bit into the next part of the project and sort of distinguishing between situational awareness, i.e. knowing what's happening, uh, and the MMIM tool actioning some sort of response. Um, but with the decision support tools, are there real world examples of these working? I mean, they can sound nice in theory. Uh, they can involve a lot of effort in some cases to set up and maintain. And uh, uh, I suppose, are there good examples to point to as to where the decision support tools have been really effective either, either locally or internationally? Yeah. So I think if you look at decision support and the resolution of an incident, you could look at it from two components. You look at it one from the actual helping an operator respond to an incident with a, a series of work activities from incident start to incident close and what do they need, what's perhaps next best action based on the information coming in and the state of play of that incident, right? So you could look at those sorts of decision support tools. The other component is um, how well the network's running and going deeper into responses. So for instance, if you've got some good simulation tools and prediction tools about the impacts of a particular incident on a network, and you're able to put in, pull in better traffic signal phase and timing or better rerouting of public transport or rescheduling, then there's those sorts of elements as well. Now, if I, there's two camps there, right? So if I look to the second part, I would probably say a lot of the US ICM projects are focused on the latter, that they looked at um, you know, using simulation and, and traffic modeling tools in real time to try and um, get predictions and, and recommendations for what to do on the network. If we come back to the decision support around workflow of a human, then there's, there's probably a number of, even in, in locally uh, in Australia, there's examples of um, incident management systems that are either in the process of doing those sorts of things and they, or are planning to, right? So, 
And those things might be as simple as following checklists or processes or more advanced things like recommending uh, recommending actions and automation, right? So those things uh, are there and I think you see those across the board. Um, and there are elements within Australia as well of using using those sort of same real-time prediction network network management tools as well. If I was to push you a bit further on this, David, um, I mean, you sort of mentioned some examples where there's simple, less glamorous things that you're saying are effective. Um, are there fancier, more glamorous things that you'd also be willing to say are effective or, or, or are they merely fancy and glamorous? Okay, I think everybody's got good amb ambitions to make glamorous and fancy systems. And it's, I think that concept is there. If I look back to the Clare City um, solution in Toulouse in France, that concept for Clare City was originated, I think in, if I'm correct, 1989. The concept has been around for 30 years where you've got an all seeing, all dancing, fully optimizing multimodal um, transport management system there so that if you pull one lever, pull one lever, turn one knob, you understand what the impacts are on another mode. I think that is a, it's, that is a, uh, a credible sort of end state to be targeting. And it's just a question of how the industry and agencies want to move towards that. And I think we're, we're probably um, partway there, but I'd say if I looked at if the end state for that particular project was classified at a maturity state level five, I would probably say that the bulk of systems are, are barely at a level two or level three in the maturity scale, um, because there's significant effort required to actually establish level three. And I'd say even with, um, if we look to Queensland and, and New South Wales and, and even Victoria, I would say their ambitions is actually to get to a level three. But I would say that there's not a lot of examples out there commercially available out there solutions right at this minute, even though that that is an ambition to get there. With um, if we come back to the earlier discussion uh, around sharing of, of data between um, stakeholders, operational agencies, as well through to the public, uh, you know what happens when there's reluctance of some players to share their data, and I suppose in that case it's not only share their data, it's, it's sort of collaborate, cooperate, because there is an overhead involved in, in doing that. Yeah. You know, people can validly say, "I just want to focus on what I do. I do that well." Um, what what to do if and when you encounter reluctant uh, participants? Yeah, so I think overwhelmingly we have to look to. We're looking at slide 31 almost start at the top at point one. If you're having an issue trying to get, look, sorry, I'll step back. We have seen examples where in the past and where a move into a MIM capability has been forged through good relationships at an operating level of very well-meaning and, and good experienced people. And they think they get things done. And that exists without any uh, operational agreements or executive leadership or any formal formal you know contracts having said that that's probably rare and it's not necessarily going to outlast that those people leaving the organization so if we step back and understand what is it that we really need to establish to make sure that we've got a going going operation of mim we really need to look to these principles and start with the first two at least that the first one we need that top-down leadership because without it 
you, there's the potential for, I'll call it white anting within different organisations. And then secondly, to support that, you do need some formal agreement, right? And even though we're not necessarily saying you need to use it like a contract, it establishes the intent and the agreement and the work, way that organisations need to work together so that people can understand and they're working to, the, to a common uh, goal. And I think those are the two key things that you need to establish before you can you know, really guarantee that you're going to get um, good functioning MIM capabilities. And um, we've probably got room for one more question after this, if, if someone wants to quickly send one through. But um, you mentioned at the start of the definition that this project was considering MIM to be unplanned uh, instead of management. Um, how does that contrast to the planned management of multimodal incidents and um, to what extent then is the management of an unplanned incident um, an unplanned application of a planned response? Yeah, yeah. And it is, it, that's an interesting topic in itself. So even with, and, and we would agree that the principles, you could probably take away unplanned, the unplanned term and perhaps look at, the, look at the principles, the findings and say, yeah, that applies to a, to a planned incident scenario or planned event scenario as well. We hadn't specifically looked at it as part of this project, but logic would, you know, tell to say that if we're going to, if Osteroids is going to look at how better to manage planned incidents, I would suggest starting here would be a wise uh, starting point. The other thing to note is that even with the local agencies maturity levels being relatively low from a MIM perspective, there are really good practices that are that exist across the road agencies and their public transport counterparts in planning for planned incidents. Now we've come across that through our research and consultation. We haven't necessarily documented it specifically in this report because it wasn't the focus, but there's certainly a, a good understanding of the potential synergies between the two areas. So the, the last question we probably have a time for is we talked about public transport, we've talked about freight. Um, what about active mobility, active modes, so walking, cycling, but also some e-scooters and so forth? How do they fit into this space? Are they a further extension uh, of incident management? Um, use you know, management similar methods, manage themselves? Uh, yeah. How does active transport sit compared to road incident management and, and MIM? Yeah, okay, so I would suggest that it would be an extension of your alternative modes or even impacted modes within MIM. And again, we kept this sort of scope tight, but there's potential to include those modes in, in future projects. Equally, one could probably also look at, at um, you know, big traffic generators uh, like airports and, and ports uh, to include those as well because you know speaking from experience we do know what sorts of uh, impacts those sorts of facilities or assets have on disruptions to transport networks whether it's road or public transport so again that could be a potential add-in to this area as well. Thank you and I know that we've got um, yeah, a couple of sort of observations coming through now that we opened the um, planned versus unplanned um, can of worms and uh, um, you know, a couple of good comments there that we'll probably get back to uh, after this um, webinar uh, and also a, a question there around well, what's the impact of climate change on this and uh, 
I suspect the answer to that is, well, it's another source of increased variability risk, um, be that, um, I suppose we see fires and floods fairly regularly, uh, whether that's uh, the Quinana Freeway going underwater more regularly in, in South Perth, um, I suppose more and more and more incidents to manage uh, is probably the, the first impact we'll see um, um, from climate change. But yeah, in terms of planned and unplanned, um, for the comments that are coming through, yes, thank you for, for sort of, I suppose, adding to the richness of, of dialogue we've had around um, this um, you know, disruption management versus incident management and so forth, I suppose. Um, within the scope of the project would say that we sort of we, we note that and that's an evolving space that I think is is moving more towards terms like disruption management and, and perhaps less distinction of the two um, you know as sort of uh, into that in David's responses um, but with that uh, I think I'll um, hand back now to um, Katarina um, to, to close out the webinar Thank you very much, Andrew and David. A very interesting discussion, as usual. Um, I just have a couple of slides uh, before we let everybody go. Um, we have quite a variety of webinars coming up. Um, they cover a broad range of um, topics, including the use of business intelligence tools in asset management, uh, movement and place framework, um, road asset data standard, best practice in smart motorways um, and other sessions. So if you're interested in any of them, uh, please visit our website um, and register. And as usual, after we close out today's session, there will be a questionnaire. Uh, it'll pop up on your screen. Please take a couple of minutes to send us your feedback. We do read it all and it helps us um, to understand what you liked or didn't like um, about the session and um, if you have any suggestions for future webinars. Thanks again. Um, uh, this session is being recorded. Uh, we will let you know when the recording is available on our website. Um, Thanks again for joining us today. Stay well and safe um, and enjoy the rest of your day. We will see you next time.